Y'all got done quicker than, with that than normal. Summer, you rushed them, huh? Oh, she's so happy right now. I can't wait to see the Facebook post later. Y'all, this is Summer up here in the front row in the middle. And uh, she is my fellow Enneagram 6. Also fellow introvert. Most people don't know that I'm an introvert, but I really am. I, uh, I just got saved, that's all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to LifeHouse. That was a good transition. Welcome to LifeHouse. Summer, I hope you'll come back next week. It is so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here for our very first legitimate 9 a.m. service. I thought you stopped for a moment. Um, man, it's just good to be with you. Um, some of y'all probably need to stay for our 11 o'clock service. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. <laughs> uh, I've, preached in this, I've preached in this auditorium many, many, many times, and there was not this many people here just for one service. So it's so good to be with you today. Can we offer our gratitude to our serve teams who were here starting really at about 7 o'clock? Yeah. You just clap for yourself. You know that, right? You just, yeah, okay. <laughs> He said, I deserved it, okay? I earned that applause. Um, if you um, remember, if some of you care about this, some of you don't, I don't think most people do, uh, but today I was supposed to start a series uh, covering the book of James. Uh, who was excited for James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got to reading the works of Martin Luther and I decided to rip that out of my Bible like Martin Luther said. You got you to gotta go deep into some theology to understand what I'm saying right now. I'm, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. James is coming. It'll be here in two weeks. Uh, we'll go into James in two, two weeks from today. Uh, I knew, I, I honestly, I knew this would happen. I just didn't want to admit it. Um, but uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Florida for a few days to be part of uh, an organization uh, called Save One and to learn more about them. And you'll hear more about that down the road. And uh, as we got in the vehicle, I started talking to her about James. But the more I started talking about James, the more I was like, I just don't, I just, I know this isn't what I'm supposed to preach Sunday. But I didn't want to accept that because I already had material for James. And I was out of town and I didn't want to have to do, I didn't want to have to write another sermon. That's just, that is real life right there, you guys. That is, that is, that is the honest truth. Um, but I just knew, I, I just, I felt the Holy Spirit uh, leading me in a different direction. So James will be here in two weeks, unless something happens again. I'm not planning to go back to Florida, but we'll see. Um, next week, you need to be here. I don't care. Maybe you're not even from here. Maybe, maybe you're visiting family from out of town. You need to change your plans and be here next week, a week from today. Uh, our friend, uh, Jeremy Allsteel will be preaching uh, next week. And if you don't know that name, uh, I promise you, it is, it is, we don't normally announce guest speakers, just to be honest with you. We don't do that. And it's not because of any real reason other than we just don't do it. But next week is a week that you want to be here. He is a friend of our church. Uh, he is a close and personal friend of mine in Christens, and, and many of you know him well. <clears throat> and he will be here next Sunday. So you need to be here for that. Clear your calendar. Don't catch COVID. I mean, something like, just you need to be here like um that's probably a little crass I shouldn't have said that but I can't take it back I mean that don't do that uh, and then we'll go into James the very next week go ahead and get your Bibles open to second Peter chapter three uh if I had to guess this is a part of your Bible that is not flipped open to very often second Peter chapter three um I want to talk today about something that I don't really talk about a lot. And some of you have even asked me, why don't you talk about this subject? And I said something to the effect of, it's not that important to me um, because I can't do anything about it. It's up to God. So I'm going to do what I can do while God does what only he can do. And, um, and if you disagree with that philosophy, that's fine. I, you can be wrong. I don't care. Um, I want to talk about the end times a little bit today. Yeah, some of you are like, yes, finally. Some of you are like, there's an end times? 
21 years ago today, I had been a Christian for only a few months, really. And as I believe I was a sophomore in high school, maybe a junior, junior, and um, I was certainly old enough to understand the gravity of the situation that was happening in our country, in New York and Pennsylvania and in Washington, D.C. And I had been in church just long enough to know enough about end times theology that I was scared to death. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was, I mean, like I was constantly keeping my eyes to the sky, not looking for a plane, but looking for Jesus. I really, I really was. And the um, words like rapture were used a lot. And, and none of this is bad. I'm just telling you, um, none of this, I'm not, this, I'm just stating facts. And um, I would, I had a really close relationship with my pastor. And so if I called him and he didn't answer, I was convinced that the rapture had taken place and I had missed out. So uh, I repented a lot in those days. <laughs> Can I just tell you though, that right there, that's bad theology, guys. That's not, that is not, that is not what Jesus wants for each of us. And, um, you know, 21 years later, um, things are different. Uh, and honestly, if we had to be honest and, and be just transparent about it, they're not all different for the better. Um, but here is the bottom line. One day, Jesus will return. And what is important for us as believers is not to try to make predictions or to set dates or to point fingers at certain people and call them certain things. It's not to share news articles on Facebook saying this might be the mark of the beast or this could be it. Those things are trivial compared to what's truly important. So today, if you hear the word end times and you're ready for me to set a date, right? If you're ready for me to point a finger to a country or to a person in leadership, I am sorry to disappoint you. That is not my job. Jesus himself said, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father himself. So how foolish would I be if Jesus doesn't even know when for me to stand up here and make those kind of predictions? So we, we're not going to talk about any of the juicy stuff today, but we are going to talk about the real stuff today. This is what Peter says in his second epistle. He says, starting in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Can I stop right there and tell you, those are the areas of end time prophecy that we focus on too much. Those are the areas of end times prophecy where people pull out their maps and pull out their charts and they, they pull out their computers and then they go to those sketchy websites, right? And they say, this person that nobody's ever heard of uh, with all these ads on their channel is saying this thing right here. I'm just, I, I didn't come to play games today. I'm sorry if this offends you. I don't really care. Um, we focus too much here. And some of you don't even know what I'm talking about and you're better off for it, Okay. But here's where we should focus. This is what Peter goes on and he says, he says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And this is where we should focus. This is what should matter to us. Peter is saying all these things are gonna happen and this is what it's gonna look like. We don't know when, we don't know how. But then he says, so since we can't do anything about those things, because those things are in God's hands, what should we be focused on? We should be focused on the things that we can do something about, right? Peter is essentially saying, don't try to be controlled by things you can't control. Instead, control the things that you can control. What kind of people ought you to be? And he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. That's point number one of the sermon right there. You've already, in just a few moments, you'll be able to leave. You'll have the whole thing. 
You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. That's point number two. Look forward to the day of God. And number three, now this one's really important and most people miss this, and speed its coming. Live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As I began to pray about this day and the significance it means for our church to launch in a second service, where we needed to launch it, where we had to launch it, I felt in my heart that the things that we need to focus on really revolve around this scripture, around this passage. Because one day, life as we know it, this world as we understand it, it will come, it will be no more. Jesus will return for his bride, for the church. So what we do between now and that day is what matters. We ought to live holy and godly lives, number one. We ought to look forward to the day of God. Can I tell you, as a 17-year-old teenager, I did not look forward to that day. I was scared to death of that day. But as I have matured in the Lord and come to understand what it really means, I can now say I look forward to that day. And number three, the one that is so often missed, because we think that we have nothing to do with when he comes back, but in fact we do. Not by making predictions or by pointing fingers, but by doing the work that is necessary to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And Peter says, you will speed the coming of the day of the Lord. The title of my sermon today is one more. Everybody hold your finger up. One more. One more soul. One more family restored. Come on, hold it up. Don't put it down yet. One more delivered from addiction. Come on. Come on, one more marriage saved. One more body healed. One more, one more person who shows up on this property and finds out that despite their past, despite their problems, that they too are loved and highly valued by God who's not mad at them, but mad for them. Come on, say one more with me. One more. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I I pray today that you would help me to preach with a boldness that supersedes my personality, but God, with a humility that can come only from you. God, that you would help me to be used by you to say what you would only have me say, to honor you with my thoughts and my words, and that as I preach that through the power of your spirit, you would speak directly to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, one more time. Can we love on Jesus with our praise and our applause? Yes. Amen. Peter says, I'm going to read it one more time. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you, you're not going to be prepared for it like you think you may be prepared for it. Uh, I was a teenager getting saved in the early 2000s, and my pastor on his bookshelf in his office had a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And I honestly think, you know, I wonder if you could get a refund on that because... Uh, because something, something didn't work out right, right? And then, and, then, and then there was 99 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1999, right? And, and, then, and then there was the 2012 Mayan calendar, right? Like, okay, right? And, and so a lot of people made a lot of predictions, and that's just not the game I play. And, and if that is interesting to you, there's nothing wrong with that stuff being a bit of a hobby. But don't let it consume you, okay? Don't, don't let it become something that you become overly occupied with. He said, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything's gonna be destroyed in this way, in other words, since this is gonna happen regardless, since this is gonna happen and we can't stop it, we, we can't really control it, and since we don't know when it's gonna happen, so since this is gonna happen, what kind of people ought we to be in the meantime? And he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. This is probably the most succinct mission statement of what a believer should look like. Live a holy and godly life. Look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I've already told you my three sermon points, so it won't be any surprise to you to to know that number one, what kind of people ought we to be? A holy people. We ought to be a holy people. Paul says this in Romans 12, 
He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies. In other words, because of what Jesus has done for you, as you think about the cross and you reflect on all God has done for you, you then offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, Paul is writing this to, to Christians in Rome who their idea of sacrifice, uh, whether they were Jewish Christians or pagan Christians, they understood what it meant to sacrifice something. It meant that you took an animal or in some really despicable acts, it may have even meant that you took a person and that you would essentially kill that person in honor of whatever God, little G or the big G God you were serving, right? And so Paul, as he writes this, he's saying, I, I don't, you're not supposed to, to die, but you are supposed to die to yourself. He echoes this in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's saying, live is a living sacrifice. In other words, I don't belong to me, I belong to him. He says, live that way, live holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. I love when he says holy. A lot of times when we think holy, we often associate that with uh, being a really good Christian. And that is what it means to an extent. If we're going to dumb it down a lot, that means that there are certain things I do and then there are certain things that I don't do. But how many of you understand that we can't boil our faith down to a list of do's and do nots? If my marriage became a list of just do, and it actually is to a certain extent, but if that's all it was, right? You know, if, if my marriage was nothing more of a do this to show that you love Kristen and don't do this to, to not show that you don't love Kristen, that's not intimacy. That's not relationship. That is, that is just a social contract at that point. And, and God is not interested in a, in a social contract. He is interested in an intimate covenant with each of us. So when, when Paul uses that word holy, he is not just saying, hey, try not to cuss and, and, and don't shoot people when they cut you off in traffic, right? I always go there. I don't know. Maybe I have a problem. That's not what he's meaning. What he means is be holy. And, and for Paul, when he's using that word holy, he, he means it to say that as a holy person, that you are set apart for a special and unique purpose. Now, in my generation, most of us don't have China in our house, right? You know, but, but we do have glasses versus plastic cups, right? That, that are deformed because of how much they've melted in the dishwasher. But we still use them, right? Because we have three children and we don't want glass shards all over our kitchen floor, right? You know what I'm saying? So like if you were to come over to my house, uh, it is it's quite possible that, that Kristen, uh, because I surely would, I can't reach them because they're up and they're too high. <laughs> that Kristen would pull our glasses out and then she would wash them because there's no way they're so clean. They've been in that cabinet so long. And, and she would watch, right, definitely. She would wash them so that when you came over, you would not be eating out of a deformed plastic cup. You would be eating, at, or rather, you would be drinking, uh, not out of a deformed plastic cup, you would be drinking out of a real glass, right, for, for a real adult, right? Because that's our special stuff, right? That's for when company comes over. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, you're God's special stuff. You're, you, you are not common. You are not ordinary. You are to be holy and therefore you are pleasing to God. See, it's not just about the do's and don'ts of Christianity. It's also about the idea of what it means to be a son or daughter of the king. That's what makes you holy. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what's God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It says, live, like a, live as a living sacrifice, dead to yourself, but alive to Christ, holy and pleasing to God. And that is how you truly worship the Lord. You see, what we just did is we sang, that is only worship on Sunday is if, if tomorrow you're still worshiping on Monday. Because if worship on Sunday doesn't lead you to greater obedience on Monday, you didn't worship, you just sang some songs. Right? So, so your true 
form of worship, your proper form of worship, is to live as a living sacrifice. And then to choose to not conform to the ways of the world around you, but to be transformed. He says it like this uh, when Paul writes to to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul doesn't say that you are a better creation, right? He doesn't say that you are a repaired creation, that you are a fixed creation. Rather, he says you have been made brand new in Christ. And Paul understood this possibly better than any other Christian has ever understood it. He went from being a persecutor of Christians to an evangelist making more Christians, right? And so Paul understood what it was like to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus where you were living this way but because of what Jesus has done in you you begin to live a completely different way Uh, you begin to live a holy life you begin to live a life that honors and pleases God it doesn't mean that you're perfect but it does mean that you are being made perfect as you more and more conform to the image of Christ so we are to be holy people here's the here's the truth You can't be an agent of change in something if you were just like the something that you were trying to change. And we have been called by Jesus himself to be world changers. Now, I know that that's a big phrase, right? And we often hear something like that and we think, oh, you know, that's cute, world changers. But my friend, I'm telling you, if you are breathing and if you have been called to follow Jesus and you have accepted that call, then you are nothing less than an emissary of God Almighty, the same God who made everything that is, who holds it in the palm of his hand. The Bible says in Romans, Paul says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and lives in me that same power lives in you and you are therefore now sent by Jesus himself your Lord and your Savior to go and make more of what you already are you are a world changer some of you may not be living like one yet because you're still stuck in a past that you can't change regretting mistakes that you can't take back feeling guilty over sin that's already been committed But if you're in Christ, today can be a new day because you're a new creation. So we are to be holy people. Number two, we are to be people who look forward to the day of the Lord. This is one of those sermons where I didn't have to come up with the points. I just read the scripture and there the points are. I love it. It's my favorite. When I was a little kid, probably around five years old, I went with my aunt to a production, some of you have heard of these, it was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Can I get a witness, anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I just tell you right now, uh, taking a five-year-old kid to one of those when he don't know nothing about anything, probably not the best idea, uh, because uh, until I was about 37, um, I still can't close my eyes when I wash my hair because I'm afraid the devil's gonna come snatch me and take me to hell. No, I remember going to that, for real, no joke. And uh, she had one of those vans. I don't know what they're called. Maybe, maybe they're a conversion van or something where they had, you know, like a TV in them. This is in the 90s, you know. Some of y'all, you know what I'm talking about. And so we're, we're riding back, and the TV was on, and static was on the screen in the t- uh, this little van, this little, you know, these little bitty TVs. And I, was, I kept seeing, like, images of the devil in the TV, like... <laughs> Like, there he is. He's, he's, he's going to come get me. And I didn't talk. I just shook like this for three days. And literally, I, wouldn't, I would not close my eyes. My eyes were red all the time because of the shampoo burns um, in my eyes. And so this idea of the end of the world, this idea of one day when Jesus comes back, uh, even after I became a Christian in my teenage years, it was not something that I looked forward to. It was something that I was scared of. It was something that I was fearful of. And and I think that there are probably a lot of of good men and women of God who are also scared of it, either because they're uninformed about it or because they've been informed wrongly about it. 
And they don't understand what it really is. And, and so, so we, we think of this idea of Jesus coming again as, as a day to be feared when the reality is the idea of Jesus coming again should, should, should strike within you the same emotion as you had as you looked forward to your wedding day. That is what you should feel like if you properly understand the scriptures and you properly, properly understand what it means for Jesus, literally is what the word says, to come back for his bride. And just as when my wife, uh, as she walked down the aisles and the doors opened, I almost fell over forward because I was leaning around the chairs trying to see this person whom I love so much and who I know loves me as we got ready to spend the rest of our lives together. And that's what it should feel like as you look for your Savior, as you look forward to the day of his return, as you get to spend eternity with the one who gave his life for you. It's good news, guys. It's not bad news. It's not gloom and doom. Come on, fear sells, and that's why we've been sold fear for so long. It's something to look forward to. When I was a teenager, like after becoming a Christian, and, and especially after September 11, 2001, as end times teaching really ramped up to a whole new level, I... Um, I would used to pray, Jesus, please don't come back before I get married. Like that was just like, that was my deal, right? Please, you can fill in the blanks there, go ahead. Take your liberty with that. Kristen, would you like to say anything at this point? She just looked at me really bad, y'all. But now as the father of three daughters, it's, it's the opposite, Jesus, come quickly, Lord. Today could be the day, y'all. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, and you don't either. I don't care what article you've read or what preacher you've listened to or whatever, whatever prophet said. If Jesus doesn't know, I don't know, and you don't know. But I know it's something to look forward to with expectancy. Do you know that the apostles believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime? They believed that. They look forward to it, and they thought it would happen in their lifetimes. Paul writes this to Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, one day he's coming, so what do we do in the meantime? We live godly lives. It's, he's echoing what, he, what, he, uh, what Peter's writing here. He says, and live holy and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the blessed hope who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So when is Jesus coming back? I don't know. But I do know it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in the next year, 10 years, 500 years. I don't know. But what Jesus does tell us to do is to live every day like this could be the day. And so while I don't know the day and I don't know the time, I do know that if I live like today could be the day, I will live the way he wants me to live. Because if today is gonna be the day, then I'm going to live prepared. If today is going to be the day, then I'm going to live with hopeful expectation. And if today could be the day that I'm going to live in such a way that I am doing what I can do to speed its coming. Which leads me to this, to this third point, this third idea. We are to, to live godly lives, right? We are to look forward with anticipation for the day of his coming. And we are also to be a people who participate in speeding its coming. You see, the idea of when Jesus is coming back is honestly very irrelevant. What matters is what I do with the time between now and whenever that happens. And so Peter tells us to be a people who participate in the speeding of its coming. And you and I, and this is something that we don't talk about a lot. This is something that's not taught a lot. This is something that you don't hear a lot. We, are, we, we get to play a role in when Jesus will return. 
He says this in the few verses before what we read in 2 Peter 3, 9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some have understood slowness. And I, this is my thought. This is what I'm thinking. Peter's an old man, right? And so Peter, just like John and just like, just like Paul, they have expected Jesus to return within their lifetime. And, 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 and Peter is an old man, and, and he's probably illiterate, and he's probably orating to this to somebody. It may have even been part of a conversation a little bit. And, and so Peter is thinking, you know, I thought he would come back in my lifetime, but here I am, an old man, and it hasn't happened yet. And he actually just got talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, with, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, which please don't take that literal. He's using metaphor there. But he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some have understood slowness. You guys are shocked that Don's already up here, aren't you? I wasn't gonna go long today. Maybe next time. I just had to acknowledge that. I could see people going. Instead, Peter says, he is patient with you. Which is a funny thing to say because Peter is writing to believers. So why is God patient with you then? He's not patient with you to get saved. He's not patient with you to become a follower of Jesus. He says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. In other words, the reason why God is patient with you is not for you to get right, but for you to do your part to speed the coming of the day of the Lord, to lead somebody else. Come on, come on, hold that finger up so that you can find the one more, so that you will go after the one more. See, God knows what we don't know. God understands what eternity is gonna feel like. And you and I, as, as men and women on this planet right now, we live for the day, right? You know, we live for the moment. We live, and, and we often make the mistake of thinking that this moment is the moment. And, and so we live uh, with this mindset of this life is the life and this world is the world. And what I have here is what really matters. But God knows what you don't know. He knows that eternity is the real end. He understands that what really matters today is not what you do to benefit you on this world, but what you do to benefit the world to come. And so Peter says he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What Peter is saying, he's saying you have the opportunity to make an investment for the one more, to go after the one more, the one more that he is longing for, that he is waiting for. Here's the deal though, we all used to be one more, right? I was having a conversation while we were in Florida and this lady asked me, she said, well, what's your story? And I told her how when I was a teenager, my, my father died. I told her a little bit about how I grew up and as I began to tell her about my life before Christ, she says, she said, how, how did you become a Christian? Like, like that is, that's, that's hard, that's, that's rough, that's this. And I said, well, there were two people. It was a, a pastor of a church and a youth leader of a church. And you, many of you have heard this, many of you haven't. The day after my father passes away, the pastor of the church comes over to my house and he says, hey, would you like to hang out? Let's go to, let's, let's go to Jackson, Mississippi. I'm from Mississippi. And I said, okay, that's about an hour and a half drive away from my house. So I get in his truck with him and we drive to Jackson and just talk and he buys me marble slab ice cream. And I wanna tell you in that moment, I had a revelation of what the goodness of God really did look like. <laughs> it was the first time I'd ever had it. I didn't know you could mix candy and ice cream, guys. If Bluebell didn't put it in there, I didn't think it was supposed to be in there. And every week or every other week for the next year, this man would continue to stop by my house and say, hey, you wanna go for a ride? He didn't, he didn't say anything. He didn't have much to, you know, to tell me in terms of, hey, you know, you have a really bad mouth. Like you say a lot of bad stuff. 
you should probably not talk like that. You know, he didn't look at the CDs that I would bring in his truck and try to, you know, slip Kid Rock in there and, or, or Dr. Dre. He didn't look at that and go, hey, uh, you know, that's going to send you to hell. Uh, some of you are just offended now because of that. No, he just loved on me. He was just a friend to me. I was a nobody, guys. I was a 15-year-old kid. I had nothing to offer this grown man. I couldn't tithe in his church. I couldn't do anything worth doing. I was just a kid. But he continued to make an investment in my life. And then one day, it wasn't even him. It was the youth pastor from the church who I didn't even know pulls up on the side of the road as I'm weed eating a bank. And she says, hey, we have a youth service tonight. It was a Wednesday. It was Ju July, June 16th, 2000. She says, we have a youth service tonight. Would you like to come? Can I tell you, I probably wouldn't have gone to that church. It was the same church. I probably wouldn't have gone to that church if I didn't know there was a pastor there or a person there who had been nice to me, who had been kind to me, who had saw the one more in me and said, you know, I, I'm going to love this kid. So I go to that church that night and I give my life to Jesus against all odds. Everything in my life was pointing me in the different direction because one person over the course of a year took seriously the command to speed the day of the Lord's coming. And because another person saw a kid on the side of the road. You could get in trouble for doing that today, right? Like, saw a kid on the side of the road, didn't even know my name, and took the time to stop. I'm sure she had places to be. I'm sure she was probably late for something. Man, how many times in our lives do we miss moments of ministry because we're too busy doing what we feel like is important? But they took the time. I used to be one more. And if it weren't for those two people, I still would be. Peter says, God is patient. Man, I'm so thankful God was patient with me. Aren't you thankful he's patient for you too? I just imagine Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, looking at the events of our world today, going, okay, okay, Father, is today the day? I mean, you see what's going on in the Middle East. You see what's going on in the United States. You, you see what's going on in Israel. You see what's happening in Russia. You see, you see all these things. You see how social media has ruined the world, right? Like, except for those watching online via Facebook Live. Praise God for that. You got to be careful how you talk about it, right? It's today the day, Father. And God says, no, come on, let's wait for one more. Come on, there's one more. AJ's got this guy he's been talking to. I think, I think he's going to make the turn. I, I, I see it. Come on, there's one more. Chad, Chad's been talking to this guy at work at CarMax. And there's this guy, he's, he's close, he's close. There's one more, guys. Or for me, as a teenager, God said, no, you see that kid down there? That one that's hurting, that one that's broken, that one that's so full of hate and anger. Come on. Come on, this summer, I'm going to take all of that anger and I'm going to wash it away. I'm going to take all of that depression and I'm going to wash it away. I'm going to change his life. You just wait. Come on, there's one more. Peter says he is patient with us because he knows what we don't. That the greatest things that we do in this life are not the things that matter to this life. But the greatest things that we do in this life are the things that matter in the life to come. One more. Come on. Maybe today we're thinking maybe one more service, right? One more opportunity for somebody to pull in the parking lot and not see it so full that they decide to drive out because they can't find a spot. Maybe for somebody to walk in those back doors and not turn around and walk out because they can't find an empty seat. So we go to one more service. 
I'm believing for one more after this. If you would go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Before we go any further, I wanna ask you this question. Are you the one more today? Are you far from Jesus today? Maybe the gospel that you've been presented is one of a hate story and not one of a love story. I wanna tell you today, it is a love story. And just like I said earlier, God is not mad at you, he is mad for you. So today, if you were one more and you would say, Pastor Drew, I want to give everything I have to him because now I realize he has given everything he has for me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand high just so I can pray for you right where you are? Is there anybody in the room say, I wanna give my life to Jesus? I see you, ma'am. I see you. I see you, ma'am. I see you. Is there anybody else? There's two, two ladies, two daughters of the King right now making a commitment. Is there anybody else? Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lifehouse, let's pray this together all across the room. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Everything I am, I give it to you in your name. Amen. Can we celebrate these two individuals? In closing, I want to offer a challenge to Lifehouse, to all of us today, that we would go after the one more. Many people think that the last words that Jesus spoken were on the cross, where he said, it is finished. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. But in fact, the last words of Jesus are not found in the gospels at all. They're found in the book of Acts. And this is what it says, starting in verse six of chapter one, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And once again, just like many of us do today, the disciples were asking the wrong questions. They were looking for what he was going to do in this world. And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after this, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hit him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? I feel like they may say to us today, why are you looking at the calendar trying to find a date? Why are you watching a video trying to find a, a, a pattern? Come on, you guys. Why are you staring at the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you will come back in the same way you've seen him go. So once again, what kind of people ought we to be? Are we to be the kind of people that stare into the sky? that point fingers at the news, that guess dates, that get wrapped up in conspiracy theories and what could be's and what might be's. Can I tell you as a pastor who loves you, and even if I've made you a little mad this morning, that's a trap of the enemy to get you distracted from the real purpose and reason why you're here. It's a trap. Or will we be the kind of people that hear the command of Jesus to go, to be his witnesses, in our Jerusalem, in our country, or our Judea, our Samaria, which would be our enemies even, and to the ends of our world, and say for one more, for one more, for one more hearing the gospel on our live stream. That's why I'm gonna give. That's why I'm gonna serve. That's why I'm gonna show up before 7 a.m. to get the cameras turned on, to get the sound system turned on, because there might be one more that sees it. One more, one more seeing a sign in a parking lot 
that shows them that this church is not a club for the committed, but it is a hospital for the broken. Come on, one more, one more that sees that sign, that sees that smiling face in a parking lot and is just curious enough to go ahead and make the turn in because they got to see who would be out there at, at 8.30 in the morning on a, on a rainy, dreary day holding a sign up for people to see driving down the road. That's for the one more. How about one more, one more participating in worship and feeling the true presence of the Holy Spirit as we lift up the name of Jesus? And saying, you know, there's something different about that church. And it's not because Lifehouse is special. It's because we just get to be privileged enough to encounter the presence of God on a regular basis. How about one more walking into the front doors and immediately knowing and feeling that they really are loved and highly valued. How about one more mama dropping her kid off in nursery, knowing that their baby isn't just being babysat, but their baby is being loved on, prayed over, and truly cared for. How about that one more? How about one more kid going up to kid's house and discovering who they truly are in Christ, that they are special, that they are loved by God? How about one more teenager showing up on a Wednesday night to play basketball? Or maybe like me, I went to church that night because I wanted to see if there was any cute girls there. That's what's up. How about one more teenager showing up to a midweek service and instead of just playing basketball or instead of just flirting with somebody, they discover their true identity in Christ as God begins to heal them from a heart full of brokenness and pain. How about one more family attending a rained out Easter egg hunt that decides to make Lifehouse their home and is introduced to life-giving and changing relationships? How about one more family moving to Oak Ridge or Knoxville from out of state and immediately, and immediately having a community of like-minded believers surrounding them, loving them, and caring for them. One more seat, one more service, one more life group, one more serving, one more soul, life house. Yeah, Wendy's got it. One more saved, one more baptized, one more filled one more understanding that they are a world changer for Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I don't know how much time we have left, Lifehouse, because I don't know when he's coming back. But I know he's coming back. And I know it's soon. What will we do with the time we have left? My plea to you, my ask of you, my challenge to you is that you as an individual and we as a church will go after the one more with a passion and zeal like we have never had before. Not because we want butts and seats, but because we want souls in heaven. As you take your elements of communion, I want to ask my wife to join me. We're doing this today because I believe this is a new season for our church and for us. And so we're just recognizing the, the specialness of this day. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread. goes on and he says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me let us partake and this is how he closes he says for whenever you eat this bread 
and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're doing today because he is coming. So let's go after the one more. Father, we thank you so much. Come on, church, would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love, and for your patience. God, I pray that in each and every one of us that you would impart to us a passion like we have never known before to preach the good news of Jesus. And God, if we need to use words, then give us the words to say. But Father, that our lights would shine before men and that because of the work you have done in us, that they would glorify our Father in heaven, that they would see the changed life in us as we live a holy life. God, as we live a life that looks forward to the day of your return. And God, as we do what we can do to speed that day coming, God, that the world around us, that our family, that our friends, that our neighbors, that those that we work with, that we go to school with, that they would see in us what a changed life looks like. And God, they would say to us, what you have is what I want. And then the opportunity would be open to share with them what it means to have hope in Jesus. God, that just like Wendy did for me, that you would help us to slow down in the everyday cycle of life, to see the one more that we have overlooked. God, to see the one more, God, that we have missed. And Father, that we would be used like lights in darkness to show them the good news of Jesus. Lord, not just through our words, but through our love and through our deeds. And God, that you would give us the one more, the one more soul, the one more saved, the one more redeemed, the one more restored, the one more filled, the one more discovering their true identity in Christ and the purpose of God that you have for them. The one more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate God. I love you, Lifehouse. Thank you for being part of our first 9 a.m. service. Y'all pray for that second service. You are dismissed. Let's go get the one more.